0: Well, good morning. We are grateful that you are here this morning for the opportunity to encourage one another and study for just a few moments. We'll encourage you once again, just remind you to say that uh, our VBS will start at 1.30. We hope that you will be able to be back with us if you would like to uh, and enjoy some time of study. Classes for all ages we will have from the, the age of birth, as we call it, from the youngest all the way to the oldest We'll have a couple of adult classes that will meet in here. Uh, we'll have a little break in between, and so we can study for a few moments and then take a break and come back together and have have one more lesson. So we're excited to have things for everyone, and we hope that you will plan to, to stay or to come back if you need to head home or things and, and come back at 1.30. And uh, just a reminder, as the bulletin says, that we will not have our, our services this evening at 6 o'clock, um, as we'll be here this afternoon. But if you're not able to be back with us at all for our VBS, we hope that you can be back with us again On Wednesday. That being said, our our lesson this morning is one that's going to connect with our vacation Bible school. You know, a lot of times on Sunday mornings, the lessons are uh, maybe geared a particular way, certain types of lessons, or those kinds of things. Uh, Maybe on Sunday night, we get into some detail and some other things. Uh, But this morning, I think it's beneficial for us, even if you're not able to be back with us, to consider just a few minutes about parables. Because I think there are things we can learn from it, and I hope that there will be encouraging to you. Uh, hey, Clayton, I realize that I don't have my clicker up here, so I may need you to uh, move forward for me for a few moments, uh, and you can keep up as, as we go along. In John chapter 7 and verse number 46, some of the officers who were gathered around Jesus, some of the officers who were kind of always keeping an eye on Jesus through the things that he did, Some of the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said of Jesus, no one ever spoke like this man. It's interesting as we consider everything that Jesus did through his life, no one ever spoke like this man. He was someone who was speaking and saying things that at times people understood that they could grasp. Other times, maybe, it, as we said, say, kind of might fly over their head. They may not quite grasp just yet. And so one thing was for sure, and that was that they recognized that no one ever spoke like he did. Whether they're catching every single thing that he said or whether they were missing some of it, it was obvious that he spoke like no one ever could. He told stories. We might say parables like no one ever could. In fact, it's in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number three that the Bible says, then he spoke many things to them in parables. Now it's interesting that as you look through the accounts of the gospel, as you look through what people had to say, you would notice that it was a while before Jesus spoke in parables. He went through much of his teaching, a good percentage of it without speaking in parables. And it was only at a specific time that And here in Matthew chapter 13, his disciples ask him about this, that he then begins to speak in parables. Now, we're going to get into some of the statistics in a moment, but just consider this morning that Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, here on earth, the master teacher, spends a lot of his time speaking in parables. I think it's important that we would consider it not only this morning or even this afternoon, but spend our lives considering the parables of Jesus. It's interesting, again, we'll come to the numbers in just a moment, but but this afternoon we're only going to consider four. Four of the parables that Jesus spoke, because we don't have time in our short vacation Bible school to look at all of them. But because he spent so much time, I think it is beneficial for us this morning to maybe gain a bit of a, a better understanding about what they were, how he used them, and some of the numbers that go along with it. We're going to set the stage this morning as we try to take an overview of the parables of Jesus. Let's let's hit a few highlights as we begin. Several highlights to consider. Number one, what does a parable even mean? What does the word parable even mean? You go to the next slide. When you break the word down in the original language, the word para, the beginning of it, means to be beside something. And the idea of balo, or the last part, as they're connected together, we get parable, means to throw. So the way that we would define it is the idea of to throw alongside. That when you think about what Jesus is saying, he is is to throw beside, to throw alongside, as we might say, or we might even say to place one thing next to another. Now, in the case of Jesus as only the master teacher can, that Jesus is going to take what would be a common occurrence. And I think this is an interesting point, because as we've thought about the parables, as we consider the parables, they were a common occurrence for them, but they're not always a common occurrence for us. In particular, we think about the lost sheep, right? Well, we still have people who who keep sheep, not maybe in the same way. Maybe it's not so much a, a large pasture or field as we think about, but maybe it's more of an enclosed kind of situation. We have people that do that, but it may not be as common. Think about the parable of the sower. That still means something to many of us. Many of us have had gardens over the years. We still sow the seed, but it may, may not be as common as when more people did it or everyone kind of did it. So it was a common occurrence for them and even still for us to understand. And Jesus takes this teaching and he takes a common occurrence and what he does is he throws along beside it a spiritual teaching. So that's where we get the word parable from. A common occurrence or a story or an occasion with a spiritual teaching. And those things are laid beside each other. And they're also obvious. I don't think I put this in my notes any, anywhere else. But it was also very obvious to people most of the time. In fact, sometimes you can see the light bulb go off above people's heads. They say, ah, I see what he's meaning. At other times, as we'll come to in a moment, people didn't quite catch it. But yet it was hard sometimes to argue when he made his point that you can see this situation, an earthly, everyday thing, and then you understand the spiritual teaching thrown alongside of it. You know, it's interesting to note here as well that it's it's also not a proverb. Don't, don't get confused when we talk about parables. It's not a proverb. Proverbs very often don't tell stories. When you think about the book of Proverbs, they're very short things that give us things that we can use in life, but they don't tell a story. It's not a proverb, but it's also more than a fable. Again, don't get confused. We love Aesop's fables. You know, we tell them to our children. They're good stories that that can teach us things about life. We talk about the tortoise and the hare. We think about the ant and the grasshopper. Those are good stories that teach us about life. But a parable is not that. First of all, those things don't normally occur when we think about animals talking to one another and that kind of thing. Most of the time, fables tell stories that could not have happened. But a parable is more than just a proverb. It is more than just a fable in that sense. Another thing that we might say, if we're going to put a firmer definition on it, is it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, this is probably the one that you've heard. Excuse me. In fact, many of you probably aren't having to fill this in because you might have cheated and gone ahead in the outline, but that's all right. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This is a little bit of a firmer definition on it. I think the idea of the word and to throw beside or alongside really helps us to get an idea of what Jesus was doing. But it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Parables were symbolic language. But it was it's a manner of teaching in a way in which people could do that. Again, they're above fables, but we connect with the fables. When we're trying to teach our children a lesson about not being prideful or finishing the race or, or keeping at it, we go to the tortoise and the hare. We talk about being prepared, by the way, a great lesson, a lesson that Jesus illustrates as well. We talk about the ant and the grasshopper. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, parables are more they're also symbolic languages. We think about an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You see, to be prepared would help you in school. You got to take tests. You need to be prepared to take a test. You need to be prepared to face other things in life, to not be prideful and to think that you've got the race won at the end, To, to be humble. That's a good thing to have in life. That's a good concept. We're not just talking about being good people. We're talking about heavenly meanings things that can help us have a home for all eternity in heaven with the Father. Let's mention some facts as we go through here. Let's think about some just numbers, sheer numbers by the idea of parables. (laughs) Number one, according to professor and writer Neil Lightfoot, the parables comprise more than a third of the recorded teachings of Jesus. One third of the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, are done in parables. Not only that, but let me go back and reference what I told you just a moment ago, that he didn't even begin until later in his ministry. I think I read, if I'm not mistaken, that it was at least in his second year, possibly, of his ministry, by the way that we can count things, that he began to speak in parables. So if we think about it, he he didn't always do it, and yet most of it is done in parables. If we're going to understand the teachings of Jesus, then we must understand his parables. I'm not sure how much more to emphasize that when we think about how much he talked about them. A step further reveals that the Greek term for parable is found some 50 times in the New Testament. The Greek word for parable is found 50 times in the New Testament. And it is said that 47 of the 50 times the word is used that it is referring to the teachings of Jesus I think there's at least two occasions maybe in the book of Hebrews where the idea of an example or a parable might be mentioned, but 47 of the 50 times the word is used in the New Testament, it's referring to the teachings of Jesus. And one more thing, one more thing to note while we're talking about this, there are several parables in the Old Testament, okay? There are some parables in the Old Testament, although they may not be referred to exactly that way, and I want to come back to one at the very end in just a second as we conclude But no New Testament writers used parables. Think about that for just a minute. No New Testament writers used parables. Only Jesus. Thus, the parables are uniquely associated with the uh, teachings of Jesus the Christ. That's just an interesting concept if you've really ever thought about it before. Because that, that doesn't mean that what Paul said is not important. We've been studying Peter here in the auditorium on Sunday mornings in the epistles of Peter. That's not to say that what Peter says is not important. But only Jesus spoke and recorded these parables in that way. They are uniquely associated with him. And it's important that we understand. So again, all that is great, but how many are there? Well, some people, depending on how you classify them, when we look at the teachings of Jesus as a whole, Depending on how you classify a few things, the New Testament records for us somewhere between 30 and 40 parables. One of the sets of material that I've been looking at and, and gave to some others as we were thinking about having our vacation Bible school, uh, one of them in particular listed 32. So again, you kind of have to make some distinctions and we could have that discussion if you'd like to talk about why that is, maybe in more detail. Uh, but but some people might say, well, this is a parable or, or this is not. But 32, or excuse me, 30 to 40. Some people say at least over 30 parables are recorded for us in the New Testament. Not only that, but some writers, some human writers, like even today who write material uh, curriculum teachings, they break the 30 plus parables down to at least or around about 11 categories or subjects. Think about some of the ones that you know. There are parables about the kingdom of heaven. There are parables about forgiveness. There are parables about praying. There are parables about counting the cost of discipleship. There are parables about repentance. And there are parables about individual responsibility. We're going to talk about a few of those today as we get into our lessons this afternoon. We're going to cover the same four in here that the, that the young folks will be looking at. Some of our teenagers will miss out on a few as they're helping, and then they'll catch a few in their class in the last hour that we have. But when we think about the four that we're going to consider, we're going to touch on several of these things. Repentance, forgiveness, individual responsibility, counting the cost. All of these things are important for us. And they, break, they give us these subject matters. They break down so that we can understand the heavenly meaning that Jesus is trying to share. Before we get into our next question, let me, let me add one other thing in here. Uh, the parables are well known. When I mention to you to think about the ones that you know... And maybe what they teach. The parables are well known. In fact, I had the chance yesterday to teach on the lost son or the prodigal son. Do you know it was said, and I couldn't find a way to verify it for sure, of course, but it was said that Charles Dickens, and we all know at least of Charles Dickens, but Charles Dickens called the prodigal son the greatest short story ever written. The world knows these parables. It's important for us to know them as well and to think about what we can glean from them. So let's move into our next point then, which is why? Why did Jesus speak in parables? Why did he spend so much time speaking in parables and, and helping us to learn these things? Number one, to fulfill scripture. If you have your Bible, look in Psalm 78 and verse number two. The 78th Psalm and verse number two. I'll turn there as well. You know, I joked with a few that I was going to preach from the floor down here. That way, I could roam up and down the aisles if anybody was sleeping. So, but I decided I needed my Bible, and so I better stand behind the pulpit, the podium here. But uh, Psalm seventy-eight in verse number two: I will open my mouth in a parable; I will utter dark sayings of old. While you're there, turn to Psalm forty-nine in verse number four. Psalm forty-nine in verse number four. The Bible says, the psalmist says, I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will disclose my dark saying on the harp. When we think about the importance of parables, they were spoken to fulfill Scripture. The point being that Jesus was going to speak in parables. He was going to teach these things, and so he does. He comes in, and that is part of his teaching. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10 and verse number 29. Luke 10 and verse number 29. Why did Jesus speak in parables? We might say also to answer questions. Luke 10 and verse number 29. You may recall here that Jesus, this this is maybe the, the most famous or at least the second famous we can quibble about whether or not it's the prodigal son or whether or not it's the Good Samaritan. But the Good Samaritan, one of the great stories, we have laws By the way, we've talked about this before in our lesson, did a lesson several years ago on this this particular story. But we have laws in our country called the Good Samaritan Laws and around the world called the Good Samaritan Laws because of Jesus' teaching here. But why did he even tell this parable? Well, verse 29 of Luke 10 says that this lawyer, this certain person coming to Jesus, wanted to justify himself and said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now we go back to the idea of fables and we go back to the idea of teaching our children and sometimes they ask a question and we say, let me tell you a story. Let me give you an example of this. Jesus sometimes told a parable to answer questions and in the case, particular case of this young lawyer, this young man who asked this question, Jesus then goes on to share the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's notice as well that sometimes he did it to reveal truth. Maybe this, is my, this might be what we say is the main reason that he did it. He did it to reveal truth, to make the truth plain, but consider this first before we go to our next point, to make the truth plain to those who really sought to find it and to follow it. In fact, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46, Matthew 13, 44 through 46, Jesus clearly sets forth, and these are two that are so short, we're not going to take time to talk about them today in our Vacation Bible School, but Matthew 13, through 46 Jesus clearly and plainly, and to anyone who wanted to understand, sets forth the principle of the value of God's kingdom with two parables, the parables of the hidden treasure and the parable of great price. And any person who was standing around, notice if you turn there, back in verse number 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him. We mentioned this in our Bible class this morning in here, but it is important for us to notice and to think about the occasion in which the parable is being told. Who is listening? Because when it comes to the prodigal son, Jesus is sort of making a pointed example to the Pharisees and the scribes. They're mad at Jesus because he's talking to sinners. How dare the Savior of the world talk to sinners? It seems silly to say, but he is. And so because they say that, he tells the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. So it's important to notice that sometimes he is very plainly revealing truth to people, to those who really seek to find it and to those who seek to follow it. The parable of the prodigal son comes after the Pharisees and the scribes confront him But right before that, the Bible tells us that he had been interacting with sinners and tax collectors. They're coming, the verb that's used there in Luke chapter 15, I believe in verse 1, the verb that's used there is almost in a steady stream. You remember Jesus constantly being thronged by people. Do you think that he could have set up shop and stood at one place 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and how far the line would have stretched for people that wanted to line up? And he's telling them these things, teaching them plainly. He sought through parables to reveal truth. But don't miss the next place. He also taught in parables to conceal truth. And you say, wait a minute, this is kind of a scratch your head moment and say, he's revealing truth, but he also did it to conceal truth. Well, Jesus used parables in order to conceal truth sometimes from those who were hard hearted or those who would abuse it. Look in Matthew chapter 13, again, He may have turned away, and verses 14 and 15. In fact, as we are looking at parables, if you're a person who marks in your Bible, and I know I always tease you about giving you homework, but here's some homework for you. You can go back maybe later today or tonight, this week, and study Matthew 13, verses 10 through 17, because my Bible says, and it's a man-made heading, but this is the purpose of parables. You know what's interesting, and I, I would I would challenge you to read this and try to study it this week, But Matthew 13 begins with the parable of the sower. That's one that we're going to talk about today. The parable of the sower. Jesus actually goes further and gives the explanation in Matthew 13 verses 18 through 23. He doesn't always give a full detailed explanation of each parable, but he does here. But sandwiched between the parable and the explanation in verses 10 through 17 is a description. It's a discussion. His disciples ask him, why do you speak in parables? And one of the things that Jesus says in verses 14 and 15, which is a quotation, and notice he says, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. Go back just a moment ago. We talked about fulfilling prophecy, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Sometimes Jesus told parables to conceal truth. People are hard-hearted. Excuse me, hard-hearted. They don't want to listen. They don't want to hear. And so sometimes, yes, the parables did conceal truth from some folks who were not prepared, they weren't ready, they weren't really listening, because he did throw alongside this occurrence, this heavenly meaning, this spiritual application. So, what about me? What does this mean to me? Well, if I could suggest a couple of things to you this morning as we conclude this lesson, but yet set the stage for this afternoon and hope that you'll be back with us, I would challenge you to read the parables, to study them and apply them. You know, like all things in today's world, a simple Google search or internet search can show you a listing of the parables of Jesus. Uh, we've got books in our library. If you don't want to do a Google search, that's fine. You can, we have books in our library. Well, actually, some of them are at my house because I've been studying parables. But I can bring them back, all right? And then you can get them. Uh, but there are books in our library in which you can go and you can find a listing of books of parables. And I challenge you to read them. But don't just read over them. Study them and to apply them. A few tips for you before we move to our last point here. Uh, Number one, study the context. Study the context. Who is Jesus speaking to? I mentioned this in my class, but let me say it again for those that weren't with us real quick. The parable of the prodigal son is told, and it was interesting speaking of internet searches, as I was studying for my lesson yesterday, you go to Wikipedia, right? Everything's true on Wikipedia as well. The internet, everything is true. But Wikipedia lists the parable of the prodigal son as the final parable, The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. The final parable about redemption. Oh, that's interesting. Now, I've been studying this for a week or two now, preparing for this lesson, and the lost son, the younger son, is redeemed. He is restored. But do you remember that in the lost sheep, the lost sheep is found, and the people rejoice. The lost coin is found, and the people rejoice. The lost son is found, and the people are rejoicing, But the parable doesn't stop there. Remember who Jesus was speaking to. Again, we've already mentioned it. But to the Pharisees and the scribes who were questioning him about interacting with sinners. So the parable doesn't stop there. Redemption is important. The younger son was wrong. For leaving and coming home is a great story. But the story ends with the older son. Because the older son is the self-righteous example of the Pharisees and the scribes. And there is a lesson there for us that as those who might be faithful or be children of God, be servants of God, would not be so self-righteous that we turn our nose up and are upset when a lost person becomes saved. That maybe is the point of the parable of the prodigal son. It's not what you're going to hear if you look it up on the Internet. It's not what you're going to hear sometimes in other lessons. And, and that's okay because there might be some other things there. But study the context to see who Jesus is speaking to and that will help you maybe understand why he's telling that parable and what the main point is which leads me to number 2. Number 2, most parables are intended to make a, a main point, a one main point. Now that's that's not always the case. I spoke on I spoke on the prodigal son. I had an hour yesterday. That's like that's kind of a long class. So so we made some other points. You know, we think about the younger son returning home. We think about the fact that the younger son left home And the the application for us is is as we leave God, we find ourselves in sinful situations, right? Those, Those are true things. Those are lessons we can learn. But I think the main point is the one we just said. Do your best maybe to find the one main point of the parable by studying the context. Number three, remember that parables never contradict Scripture. So they must be understood in light of the teachings of Scripture, I read one writer who said that, that we should probably not usually go to parables first for the doctrine that we, that we abide by. They will carry that out. They don't contradict Scripture. But remember that, that they should be understood in the light of the teachings of Scripture. Well, why is that? Well, that's because a lot of people misunderstand them or misapply them. And I would challenge you to read, study, and apply. If you need help, come see me, talk to someone else. If you need help, come get the books that we have because they will help you. But we need to apply them because they still apply to us today in a way. You know, we've joked uh, a few times, we changed our, one of our parables we're going to study this afternoon is the wise and the foolish builders. Well, usually when we hear wise and foolish, I associate that with the wise and foolish virgins. Well, that's two different meanings and two different ideas. One with the wise and foolish virgins is the idea of being prepared. That's a good parable. It's something we need to learn and apply, but we have to read it and we have to study it and then apply it because we certainly need to be prepared. But then finally this morning, teach them to your children. Well, that's a a little bit of a plug for this afternoon. One more plug to be here and be with us. But parables are great stories that help us to remember spiritual teaching. An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We have a book at our house of Aesop's Fables. We read them to the kids a few times at night. It can be a funny way or an interesting way to end your night. You know, you read bedtime stories. Nothing wrong with that. But parables are good stories to teach our children. To help them remember more than just being prepared in an in a earthly sense or, or more than just not being prideful. But to remember things about the kingdom of heaven. To remember things about repentance. You know, not many people have forgotten the Good Samaritan. Not many people have forgotten the parable of the prodigal son. The world can remember those things. Why should we not be teaching them to our children? And even though I gave you a shameless plug just a few moments ago for the three hours this afternoon, it doesn't need to stop there. We need to teach them to our children always. As we conclude this morning, I would say, let me give you one quotation and then let's talk about the Old Testament parable real briefly. Uh, Brother Robert Taylor, uh, Brother Robert Taylor Jr. said it this way in one of the books I was studying. The powerful, precious parables of Jesus never grow old to lovers of truth. They are as fresh as the early morning dew. They never become boring. They never lose their power to challenge us. And they are in rich, or excuse me, in rich reality, they are more up to date than this morning's newspaper." The parables of Jesus are wonderful, and we're going to look at some this afternoon, but we hope that you won't stop there as you consider exactly what parables are. As we kind of pause there with the parables of Jesus, let me share with you one more. It's perhaps one of my favorites. It's not because it's actually a a good thing, but it's one of my favorites because of the way that it's told and and the message that it tells, and it is from the Old Testament, and it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Perhaps you remember that particular occasion I don't know that you may remember 2 Samuel chapter 12 as much as you remember 2 Samuel chapter 11. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that we read about old King David and Bathsheba and Uriah and what takes place there. And a lot of folks recall that. But maybe you remember in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that the way that David remembers or or realizes, not remembers I guess, but realizes what happened is that the prophet Nathan comes to him and speaks to him. In a parable. Now again, we're going to talk about the parables of Jesus this afternoon, but this is a good one here. Do you remember that Nathan tells him of a man, a king who had everything that he could ever have, all the sheep he could want. And he goes and he takes the one sheep of this one man, this one poorer person who has one sheep. And the king who has everything goes and takes the one from that man. And David reacts the way that any of us would react. And I'll challenge you again as you read the parables. How many times do the Pharisees and scribes sort of puff their chest out and think, well, he's not talking about me. That has nothing to do with me. That's a good story, Jesus, but that's that's not me. And David puffs that chest out and says, how dare he? Show me where he is. I'll go find him and string him up. Why would a king do that? And in infamous words, Nathan says, you are the man. The point of the parable is that you are that person. It's why we should understand parables, both Old Testament and New but you understand who the parable is talking about, what the point is. And when Nathan says to David, you are the man, you are that king, you are the one who, are, who is wrong here. David does the right thing, looks inwardly and says, yeah, I am. Yeah, I realize that I'm wrong. I realize that I have done wrong, that I have sinned in the eyes of God. And I think this is a great one because it is a reminder for us that we are sinners. That no matter how much we puff out our chest and we act like it's not me and I'm better than everyone else and I'm doing what's right, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And as we conclude this lesson this morning and ask for you to consider your life, we ask for you to consider what state you're in. As you think about the parables of Jesus or the parable of Nathan there that teach us things about our life, are you a person who is in need of a Savior? Well, we all are. But are you saved this morning? Are you a child of God? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins, allowing the blood of Christ to wash away your sins and the Lord to add you to his church? If you're not, why not? We'll be singing in just a moment to encourage you to become a Christian, to become a child of God and to begin to live faithfully. But like most of us, we are in a situation like the Pharisees and the scribes that that we can get self-righteous. And if we're not careful, we think we've got it all figured out. We don't need God. We're not causing any trouble. We're good. We've not done anything wrong. And yet we are still sinners in a sense. We still do mess up. At times we wander away and we need to be found. We need to come back to him. Maybe you're a child of God this morning, a Christian, and you stand in need of God's second law of pardon. The opportunity to repent of your sins, to pray for forgiveness, and we know that the Bible tells us God is faithful to do just that, that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. We're thankful for the parables of Jesus, the lessons we can learn We're thankful for the opportunity to study this day. And we're even thankful in this moment to sing a song of encouragement. If you need to make a change, either by becoming a Christian or come back to him, we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.